Begin Podfix Network transmission in three, two, one. This is Bewilderbeasts, an infotainment show dedicated to inspiring curiosity for all ages by investigating the ways animals intersect at humanity. I am not a historian, an ethologist, a researcher, a scientist, a zoologist, a trained audio engineer, or an expert in, well, anything. Y'all, I'm lucky if I can remember to put my clean laundry in the dryer before it gets funky. And while I make every effort to present things as accurately as I can with a fun flair, I'm going to mess up. And that's okay. I hope I've given you a nice place to jump off from on your own adventures into curiosity, or at the very least, I've given you the key to win your next round of trivia. Hello and welcome to Bewilderbeasts. I'm your host, Melissa McKee McGrath, recording today while I'm putting off cleaning the bathroom. <laughs> today on Bewilderbeasts, we are talking about the time Kentucky Fried Chicken teamed up with NASA, some space ready chickens, and an eighth grader for science. All right, let's do this. Welcome back. I think it's really fun to explore. So last week's episode on space exploration really got me to thinking about investigating things around us. We don't have to go to space to see what's around us. My family, we explored a new area, Freeport, Maine. And it's known for really one thing, L.L. Bean. And the very best dang flannel that you can get on planet Earth. I did not believe the hype and I grew up here. But my God, I went to get my, hey, you're a real Mainer now card by buying some flannel shirts at L.O. Bean. I have never been more warm in my life. (laughs) I'm always cold. Always. Now, I'm toasty. I mean, I still have a space heater on my feet as I work on this episode, but that's just because I like to feel a little too hot all the time. So if you are into reincarnation, for sure, an animal and the words heat rock were involved in all of this somewhere. So we'll get more into L.O. Bean in another episode, weirdly, uh, because we'll be talking about a famous locked moose situation where two moose in New Sweden, Maine, were fighting over a lady moose. Their antlers got locked and they died forever locked in battle. And that could have been the United States and the Soviet Union from last week had things gone a little bit the other way. So today's episode is a little bit more in the space stuff theme. It's actually the story I wanted to tell last week, a feel-good story about chickens in space and Kentucky Fried Chicken meeting NASA, but then I saw the words Pupnik and decided to stick with the space dogs of almost war theme. So consider this maybe a different ending in the choose-your-own-adventure that is exploring space via the animals that we sent there. So let's get into the time that the fast food mega-chain Kentucky Fried Chicken actually teamed up with an 8th grader to send chickens into space on a NASA space shuttle. Actually, hold on a second. Before we get started, this episode might make you a little bit hungry, so go get a snack. Okay, you good? Pause. Pause if you need to. Okay, do you also have your sketchbook and some pencils so you can just doodle some chickens in spacesuits while we do this? Okay, great. 
Now that we've got everything ready, I promise this is way more lighthearted than last week. So let's do this. Chicks in space, 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 space. All right. So we've all fantasized about going to space, right? Maybe not the space outfits that they wore on Star Trek, because y'all, I cannot with the idea of a romper and a onesie. Just to take the entire thing off to pee? No, thank you. But you get my drift. As things get hot, hot, hot here on Earth. Or even, let's just take away the terrifying stick that is the devastation of everything here on this mortal coil. Some people just really want to go where no human has gone before. See the stars up close, but... Maybe not that close, because you'll die of flaming gas. That's generally not great for getting up too close and personal. But, unless you have more money than God, sup Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, and Richard Branson, who had the billionaire space race last year, which... Can I just for a minute with them? Okay, you guys can check out for a minute. Uh, Elon, Jeff, Richard Dick, whatever you go by. I know that y'all are listening, especially Bezos. Seriously, y'all, stop with the flexing and just, like, feed people, please? While all y'all can just up and leave as things get inconvenient down here, could you just help by, like, supplying Flint, Michigan with better pipes or help with rapid transit or do something about this whole climate change thing? That'd be great. Okay, everybody can come back. We can't just get there to space. So it's a fun thing to think about, isn't it? I mean, what would you do in space? Would you... Would you want to be the commander of the ship? How would you eat? What about your favorite foods or drink here on Earth that you might not be able to take into space? So drinks are hard unless you're super into tank. I can't imagine trying a martini in space, shaken, stirred, whichever, it doesn't matter. You wouldn't be able to drink it in a cup, which might take some of the magic away from the experience. Yeah, I'll have a Manhattan in the little blue juice pouchy thing. Thanks. But in all seriousness, NASA has stricter rules on alcohol in space than the Russian Roscosmos cosmonauts. The only thing that they seem to have in common is that neither the astronauts or the cosmonaut can't be drunk at liftoff. <laughs> like, only liftoff. And while we haven't studied alcohol in space very much, we do know that carbonated beverages like soda and seltzer in beer do not go down easy. They produce what's called, quote, Wet burps, an unsettling term for what happens when burping happens in space. (laughs) See, on Earth, when you have to release some gas via burp, the gas rises to the top and liquid stays below thanks to our good friend gravity. And, uh, ha relief. But in space, gravity is kind of left behind. So when the gas comes up, it brings some of its stomach liquid with it. Everyone is invited to the belching party, the burp shindig, the evacuation luau, the gaseous gathering, hurling hoedown, discharge disco, gurky get-together, so sorry social, and the excuse me soiree. All that I could find was that they are called wet burps, and it sounds absolutely gross. So if you cannot even crack open a LaCroix or a Coke Zero, I guess fried chicken is way out, right? I guess it's all Matt Damon potatoes a la The Martian from here on out. But one kid... An eighth grader in the 1980s dreamed big. His teacher noticed that his science fair project, which happened to be a machine that made fake snow, something useful for ski slopes. And that teacher thought, hmm, this kid should absolutely send in a project to NASA. You know, space people NASA. 
You see, at the time, NASA and the National Science Teachers Association, NASTA, were asking for submissions from kids around the country. So eighth grade John Bellinger looked that science teacher in the eye and said what eighth graders all over the world say when a teacher thinks that they should do something extra. Um, okay, I guess. So the focus of this competition was to submit a project that would go into space on a shuttle. It was all very, very exciting. Imagine if you made a thing that got to fly in space. That would be just so cool. But John's family had a chicken farm, and he recalled watching the chickens roll the eggs to try to keep the yolk from settling so they could hatch. And he wanted to know how the lack of gravity would affect the baby chicks in space. So he worked on a little wooden box prototype that won the regional competition three years in a row. Eventually, he won the national competition his junior year in high school in 1983. In 1985, while this eighth grader became a freshman in college, he finally got the call. The call every eighth grader regional winner would love to get. His design, his experiment, his idea was going to freaking space, y'all. Until this point, no eggs had successfully hatched and were healthy in space. They had more birth defects if they were able to hatch, but generally they just didn't hatch at all. But in 1979, before John submitted his first design, the Soviet Union, still all space racy, that space race that we discussed last week went from 1955 to 1991. They were seriously considering sending quails up into space as a food source. Here's the thing, if the quails could lay eggs, the cosmonauts would have a food source. But that isn't what happened. The eggs that did hatch on the Soyuz ships the Soyuz are like uh, Russian spacecrafts that have been going up into space since we have been doing space. <laughs> they are the longest contributing human space program ever. Those ships are still going up while we have had to redesign our ships from time to time, as you'll see later in this episode. So anyway, the eggs in the Soyuz developed much too slowly and had some serious deformities due to radiation. That's a bummer. But eventually, one quail survived hatching and then another and another, which was fantastic news for life being born outside of Earth. But there were some difficulties. <laughs> for starters, the chicks wouldn't latch onto anything, and without latching, they most certainly, and many did, die. But quick-thinking cosmonauts figured out that if they made a little harness for the hatchlings, they could eat. Hooray! But they had no interest in mating. So there goes the entire plan for chickens making other chickens in outer space, creating a fantastic self-perpetuating food source for space travelers. So while the USSR was sorting out chicken harnesses and hatching some plants, the United States was also trying to figure out the big chicken problem, and that's where John's project happened to tie in nicely. What also tied in nicely was corporate sponsorship, because America. Kentucky Fried Chicken agreed to sponsor John's poultry project. <laughs> Fast forward to 1986. Twelve chickens were put aboard a shuttle with the winners of the NASA NASTA competition. John was convinced after seeing an experiment at the Chicago Museum of Science and Industry that gravity forces the yolk down to the base of the egg. So if the chicken eggs had a chance to survive space, they should be turned from time to time, which could perhaps change the outcome of what we were seeing in the Russian spaceships. John, now a freshman at Purdue, I looked, 
zero relation to the Purdue chicken empire, but I did think it was a funny side note. He was one of the last people off the shuttle as he said goodbye to his eggs. The doors of the spaceship closed, and the shuttle lifted off as kids in classrooms around the United States watched from wheeled-in televisions into classrooms before we had the internet. When computers weighed more than a medium-sized dog and everyone was looking for an excuse not to do math tests, this was a particularly nationwide unifying event because teachers all over the states were tuning in to watch Krista McAuliffe, a teacher from New Hampshire who beat out the teachers from all over the country to earn a place on this shuttle. So while the first student project was going up, the first teacher was also going up too. And the intention was that she would give two lessons to students from space and then spend the rest of the year traveling the country and speaking to kids about the importance of staying curious and science and space and the importance of teachers keeping kids interested in technological careers. It made sense that the very first teacher in space would run the experiments from the student-submitted program. Thus, in a very 80s naming convention, and this part of the mission was called Chicks in Space. Oh, the 80s. However... 73 seconds into the flight, the Challenger spaceship, the seven crew, the chickens were gone. Challenger exploded on national television to the horror of the nation watching, and NASA's space program was grounded. Poor John Vellinger was watching from the ground at Cape Canaveral where the launch was happening. He just watched his friends and his life's work to this point disappear in an instant. And here's the weird thing. JFK, John F. Kennedy, who was highlighted last week, was assassinated. And for many in this country, that is what is called a flashbulb memory, a big event where people from all over remember exactly where they were, what they were wearing, silly details of the entire day. If I asked you what you did on January 3rd, 2016, you might not have an answer. But if I say, where were you on 9-11-2001, anybody around my age would tell you what they were wearing, what they had for breakfast that day, and every single detail of that horrific day. JFK's assassination was one of those days for the generation before me, and the Challenger explosion was a flashbulb memory in Gen X. For me, the Challenger explosion... I actually remember seeing the Challenger explosion, but not live on TV. I was a kindergartner and we had half-day kindergarten. We had already come home off the bus by the time the explosion had occurred, so I remember watching this not on live TV, but just replaying that moment of the spaceship exploding over and over and over on the news. And it was pretty traumatizing for kids to watch this, knowing that there were children's science projects up there, knowing that these astronauts had given their life to space, and that there was a teacher for some kid's classroom on that shuttle who was trying to make kids excited about space exploration. So that was another flashbulb memory, and I'm sure you'll have yours too. Anyway, the space shuttle program was grounded for two years and eight months. When NASA addressed all of the concerns that led to the Challenger explosion and redesigned the shuttle, NASA came a-knockin' again to John, and this time with a bigger experiment idea. Instead of the 12 fertilized eggs that were aboard Challenger, they wanted John to design a compartment that could hold 32 fertilized eggs. And so John made a contraption that could fit 32 fertilized eggs. And that contraption went up on the next shuttle, Discovery. 
Kentucky Fried Chicken was back on board, NASA wanted John's experiment to fly aboard, Chicks in Space Part 2, The Mighty Chickening, was a go. The emotional launch went up. Everyone in the United States held their breath for 73 seconds and collectively sighed as Discovery made it past the point of Challenger's explosion and continued up and up and up and out of the atmosphere. And because science loves its invariables, John decided to have half of the eggs fertilized nine days before lunch and the other half two days before lunch. This would hopefully give a picture of what the effects of microgravity would have on eggs at different times and ultimately, hopefully successfully, creating eggs that could produce hatchlings in space. So round and around and around they went. Eggs and discovery and astronauts and eggs and discovery and astronauts zipping around Earth 80 times in five days. Then Discovery rediscovered Earth's gravity, touched down, and John, KFC, Purdue, again not related to chickens, watched with bated breath. Will any of these eggs actually hatch? One week later, a bouncing baby boy named Kentucky, obviously, emerged from one of the eggs that were laid nine days before lunch. Of the 32 eggs, eight survived, and all eight were from the nine days before launch batch. And with the chicks in space experiments ending in the early 90s, before Natalie Imbruglia was torn, the Spice Girls made Spice World, and before Christina Aguilera put a genie in a bottle, that was that for flying birds flying out of this world for science. In part, bringing animals into space, rightfully, has more restrictions now. Plus, with the ever-expanding vacuum that is space, weirdly, there is limited space aboard the International Space Station for experimentation. As it is, space folk who want illegal alcohol on the ISS have to be creative. Like, lose a bunch of weight prior to launch so they could stash a bottle in their spacesuit and not throw off their weight. Or hollow out a book like old-timey mystery novels. And my favorite, just label the bottles, quote, juice. Basically, sneaky space kateers are not that unlike 15-year-olds trying poorly to sneak illegal Boone's farm. At least Buzz Aldrin admitted years later after leaving a footprint on the moon's surface that he brought a bottle of wine to have Holy Communion on the moon. If those are the lengths that somebody will go through for a bottle of alcohol, how far will someone go to for a bite of a fried chicken sandwich or a space quiche? Or the way I look at my eventual chickens coming to a main backyard near me very soon, how far will I go for my chicken friends? I've already pre-named them. They're Rose, Blanche, Dorothy, and Sophia. <laughs> Hiding chickens in a spacesuit seems inadvisable for many, many, many reasons. But here's the coolest part. If I did today what I aspired to be in the eighth grade, I would have been a failed soccer player. I loved the sport but was very, very bad at it. Hilariously bad at it. I couldn't hit a 10-foot net to save my life if I was standing next to it. I did score one goal in my five years of playing, and that was when I slid in the mud, took out the goalie's legs, her face hit my knee, and I broke her nose. The ball very slowly rolled into the net. Guys, I felt terrible. I was also a walking biohazard with her blood all over me. Whoever you are, goalie from Wiscasset, Maine around 1996, I'm so sorry. My bad. But John Vellinger, the eighth grader who dreamed of sending chickens into space and had unlimited supply of fried chicken for the rest of his days, probably, worked really well with his mentor at KFC. He was an engineer named Mark Dowser. 
During their multi-year collaboration, they decided to start a company where they would continue to do space experiments. They have been working together for 30 years at a company that they co-created called TechShot. They have recently created a 3D printer that has successfully manufactured human tissue in space. I know, this is bonkers. So here's the fact of the episode. In space, you don't need stuff to hold human tissue really in place in a particular way. There isn't gravity, so a heart patch could just float and hang out there bobbing around in space. Because this is easier to do in microgravity, if you needed something, like maybe a skin graft or maybe a wee little spleen, scientists could send a three-dimensional printer into space, plug in the deeps, print, 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 let it grow some veins and capillaries for a little over a month, then zip it back down to Earth and go into a person. Hopefully, with space being more and more of an interest, healthcare could get into the new frontier. So what about Bellinger's chickens? I mean, Leica had her statue and her legacy. Strelka and Belka, you heard about them last week. So back at home, John Bellinger keeps a flock of earthly chickens, which he says are, quote, simply great creatures. So if we're going to be in space, potentially live in space in somebody else's lifetime other than my own, we might need to raise and eat our own food there. And it sounds like even the billionaires won't be able to eat a crab cake or fancy stuff in space. Certainly not cognac unless they're going to smuggle it aboard in their gold-pleated spacesuit. Ah, what I wouldn't give to see Elon Musk pull a Happy Meal out of his space underwear. Hey, thank you. Yes you for listening to this show. If you like it, look at your listening device. Look at it right now. Click the little five star thingy or a thumbs up or however many stars you think the show is worth to you. Or tell a friend a fun fact about anything you learned from today's episode. If you want more of this and extra content, check out bewilderbeastpod.com for all of the episodes so far or patreon.com slash bewilderbeastspod for secret extra bonus stuff. There's a new thing up every month for you. And so we're nearing in on about 10 bonus episodes right now. And for the Patreons, here is your thank you for sponsoring this show. This little bit that you throw down helps with paying for hosting fees so everyone can listen and enjoy. So everyone, thank a Patreon supporter today. (laughs) I mean, let's be honest. I would actually just pay for this anyway because I love doing this show. But to know that you're happy to chip in and help me with this, it means the world. So thank you. Thank you so much. If there is extra content that you'd like or merch you want, just let me know. I'll see what I can do. Or if you have fun fan art that's cool for me to pop up with credit on social media, zip it on over. Here's how. You can reach me at bewilderbeastpod at gmail.com. I read everything. I mean, well, not the spam. Spammers love telling me that I can grow my biz with a thousand Zs or grow, well, wait, this is a family podcast. I could grow fruit. I can get strong with protein, all sorts of things. I don't read those. I do read your stuff, though, so keep it coming. It brings me joy to see all the notes from you. You can tweet or lurk at Bewildered Pod on Twitter, Bewildered Beast Pod on Facebook, and Bewildered Beast on Instagram. I'm not as active on Instagram or Facebook, but feel free to be active there on my behalf. I'm going to be going back to llbean.com to see if they have more flannel shoes and gloves. 
I'm going to look like a Paulina Bunyan after all of this is said and done. And no, L.L. Bean is not a sponsor, and neither is Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> I don't know. I just really like their flannel, and now I think I'm addicted. Okay, I'm Melissa McKee McGrath with Mud Stuff Media, author of Considerations for the City Dog. Now go get curious. I got today's information from nasa.gov, audubon.org, techshot.com. That's John Vellinger. That's John Vellinger's company that is still in action. Dream big, John. Sciencefocus.com, purdue.edu. The college, not the chicken people. Space.com, britannica.com. Businessinsider.com on alcohol in space. News18.com and Atlas Obscura. Links, as always, are in the description of today's episode. If you have a friend who doesn't do podcasts but loves like YouTube, you can search for Bewilderbees Podcast on YouTube and get full episodes there. Full disclosure, I usually remember to put them up about every four to five weeks, so they tend to go in like five episode chunks instead of every week, but we're all caught up as of this recording. Music is by Dan Leibowitz and interstitial music is by MK2. Extra music is from freesound.org and pixabay.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe. You can do that right now. Just click right now as I'm finishing up my speech. Did you do it? Did you? Hey, thanks. And share with your curious friends. Thank you so much for joining me. And I will see you next week. You've been listening to a podcast of the Podfix Network. Discover more audible gems like this at podfixnetwork.com. Make sure to catch up-to-the-minute network shenanigans by following at podfix on Twitter, official underscore podfix on Instagram, at podfixnetwork on Facebook. And make sure to subscribe to Podfix Presents wherever you choose to find podcasts. The Podfix Network, artist owned and loved.